Put on your grass skirts and get ready to pub crawl. You're listening to Blame It on Buffett. Well, I sail from Lauderdale down to Key Largo. Cross the Gulf on a fast loop and I sail the Abacos. As a kid, I read Contiki and now all the pirate books too. There's just so many places on my list to see. I'm going crazy just trying to choose. Today on Blame It on Buffett, I'm going to have an interview with Billy Brame, who is the president of PHIP. Um, But before we get to that, I just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping, and that is to say thank you to a few people. First and foremost, thanks so much to Eric and Gina Babin, who uh, were on last week. I'm not really sure how they did it, but they got so many new people to like my Facebook page, like seriously, like hundreds of people. So um, thank you to them for putting it out there, telling people to like it. And thank you to everyone who liked it for having the trust in Eric and Gina that they wouldn't be telling you to like something that wasn't worth it. I hope that I can bring content that you will want to hear um, and want to see on the page. So thanks again so much to them and and for the interview that they did. Um, I also wanted to say uh, thank you to Paul Davidson from I'm a Trap Rocker uh, for putting me, adding me to their uh, Trap Rock directory that they have on their website. You can find all sorts of people there, musicians, radio shows, that kind of thing. Um, and they were willing to add my podcast on the as a directory listing. So uh, thank you so much. You can find that at imatraprocker.com. Also, um, I am... I signed up for the sponsor level of um, TRMA membership, so you can find my podcast as a sponsor over on the TRMA website as well. I think that's it for now, so let's get to the interview. Um, this is a really, a really you should really listen to this interview, especially if you're a club member, because even just in the course of talking about Parrot Head Clubs um, and his what he's done so far as president of PHIP. Um, Billy has a shares a lot of good ideas um, related to club events and that kind of thing. I know I learned a lot, uh, and that wasn't even really my intention of bringing him on the podcast, but. Um, there's some really good ideas there. Also, he does talk a little bit about the postponement of Meeting of the Minds for this year. So if you had any more questions about that, um, he maybe will answer them in this interview. So um, here it is. All right, welcome back to Blame It on Buffett. Today, my guest is Billy Brame. I'm excited to have him on because he is the current president of PHIP, which we will talk about in just a few minutes. But uh, thanks for being here, Billy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, You're fairly newly elected, right, as president? Yes. I was elected last year and um, took over on January 1st uh, from Kathy, who was an awesome president and always a big supporter. So you had some big shoes to fill. She was great. Yeah, shout out to Kathy. I love Kathy. I don't know if she listens. Actually, no, I think she has listened to the podcast before, so maybe she'll hear this. But um, 
So what made you, well, I guess first, let me say, uh, PHIP, I assume everyone knows this that would be listening to this podcast, but just in case, PHIP stands for uh, Parrot Heads in Paradise. It's the parent organization of um, sort of all the parrot head clubs nationally here. Um, are there some international clubs that fall under that too, or is it all in the U.S.? No, uh, there's it's international. So we've actually expanded out and we've got clubs in Belize, Australia, Canada, our friends to the north. Uh, Mexico has a couple of new clubs that popped up. And uh, I know London's been talking about having one and there's people in Paris. So um, it's really expanding out, which is pretty you know incredible because you know they, they give us the opportunity to do more things you know with our international friends and have events across the borders. So, you know, some of the trap rock artists that we follow, they're actually doing things in different countries now. And we're bringing in those parrot heads that are, you know, across the pond or down south or up north. So it's, it's kind of cool to see it, you know, expanding out that way. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, I mean, like I knew there were parrot heads in the sense of there were Jimmy Buffett fans in other countries, obviously, like he does a show in Paris every tour usually. Um, so he must have, you know, fans out there in other places. But I guess I didn't realize there were actually chapters of um, the club there or in other countries. So that's that's really cool. Um, yeah. And what's really cool is that, you know, it's they're they're really jumping in. And, and it's tough because Trap Rock is like is a is an American creation as a, as a music, as a, as a form of music or a, or a genre. And um like if if you went to the, to any of the concerts out of the country, you know, in Dublin last year, the locals there didn't even know who Jimmy Buffett was, which is really kind of strange to know there's a concert there, and they people were asking, "What's with all these people in Hawaiian shirts? What's going on here? We're in we're in Dublin," and it was funny to hear the reaction. And he actually had a guy on stage that was a local that was very popular. So we mentioned, "Oh, they're going to have." you know, one of your Irish guys on stage, and we mentioned his name, I forget who he is, but they were like, oh, he's great. So <laughs> they would have gone to see him, but not Jimmy Buffett. So it's a complete reversal of what we're doing here. But it was a lot of fun to be over there and see the, the people all in one country just to go see a concert. And uh, same thing in Paris. It's an amazing place to go see a, a concert because it's all small venue stuff. So they're filling full stadiums here and there. It's like a small theater. So it's so close and intimate. Anybody that gets a chance should jump on that opportunity. Yeah, I would definitely love to go to the Paris show sometime. Um, like you said, it, it's a much more intimate setting. And it, it's interesting because um, like if you watch like the Parrothead documentary or um, you can see that it, because a lot of the countries there are, you know, a little closer together and because he only does that one show like there's people from all over Europe that come to the Paris show because that's like the one show um that he usually plays over there so it's it's interesting to that you get such a wide range of like you can see like oh there's you know these are the parrots from Denmark and these are the parrots from wherever so it's kind of cool to get that um all those people in a room together and see that that fan base um <clears throat> So the the club itself, um, I am in a member of the Tucson Club, and um, once again, for people that if people don't know, if you are not in the Parrothead Club, um, I think there's the, a misconception 
uh, that it's like just a Jimmy Buffett fan club, but that is really not the case at all. Um, it's sort of developed into much more with a, with a really strong focus on, um, like raising money for chair. I mean, it's a nonprofit, so raising money for charities, um, volunteering, that kind of thing. And then obviously, uh, we are all into lots of other music, like you mentioned, um, pretty much most trop rock, uh, not just Jimmy Buffett. So, um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and what the clubs do? Um, that, cause I think people might not really, if they're not part of the club, they might not really know all the stuff. You don't, I feel like you, now you don't even really need to be a huge Jimmy Buffett fan to join. I know our club has a couple people that, um, you know, they just like the lifestyle and they like to hang out and listen to music and they like to, to help out and, um, do the volunteering and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's, you're absolutely right. And I, I've listened to some of your other podcasts and what some of the other musicians have said and the artists. And so, so PHIP is actually the official Jimmy Buffett fan club. So we finally got that labeled on there. So people that were searching for it knew where to find it. Mm. But then, you know, the, the big thing is, is that people that are Jimmy Buffett fans, you know, with the exception of a few people like yourself um, that are in the younger generations, um, Jimmy Buffett's not really the thing you chase after or you hear and you go, wow, I really love this music because there's so much other stuff out there. And one of the things that, that I've found is that we're, we're trying to gather members that like the same style of music. Um, so like like the trop rock musicians, um, I've seen a few of you have had Brent Burns and Tom Shepard and Kelly McGuire. Um, they play in that genre and it's the same type of music as Jimmy Buffett. But the big thing that will bring people together is the, the common core um, median range that are the professionals that play that music that people don't realize that's what we consider trop rock music. So mm -hmm. it's the Kenny Chesney's, it's the Zach Brown's, the Jack Johnson's, uh, going back to Bob Marley and now Ziggy Marley and Damien and all the rest of the Marley's, there's a zillion of them. <laughs> and so you, you play all this music and if people like it, they, they tune in and they go, wow, I really like this type of music. And you go, really? Well, then you probably like Jimmy Buffett because that's kind of where it stemmed from. And then you actually make it bigger, like a big pyramid, you know, Jimmy Buffett's at the top. Then you've got, you know, your Kenny Chesney's and all them. And then you've got all the rest of our performers that, you know, aren't on the major stages, but we follow them across the country to all these main events. So it's, it's created this, you know, organic thing that's traveling the country. And, um, you know, I recently heard um, Mike Nash say the same thing. It's kind of a, hey, people like to see it up close and personal and hear the stories and where the song came from. And the people that are now writing the music for the big names, now we can actually see them and they tell you, hey, I wrote, I wrote this song that was picked up by Kenny Chesney, and here's what it's actually about. And people don't get to hear that when they're on stage at a big concert. So it's a whole different ball game from that angle. Right. So then if we can kind of get people that maybe don't even realize that that is a genre that they like because they just happen to like those people, but they don't know that it's this whole bigger genre. And then maybe we can try and get those people to, to come in and, and join the, the club and stuff. And, and so we can get more members um, because I know like, I, I love my club. Um, they're all great. And I have made some, actually, like, they were basically my first friends when I moved to Tucson from Oregon um, because I joined and they, that was how I, like, met 
those were the people that I met first, basically when I moved here. Um, but you know, like you said, they're all older than me. Um, so this is maybe a way to try and get in a few more younger people to join the clubs, um, to keep that going, uh, to keep sort of the, not just like the tradition and stuff, but also the, the work that the clubs are doing, because I know they're doing a lot of important work, um, to raise money for different charities and, and do volunteer work and that kind of thing. So is that kind of like what you're seeing as like the way to get new people into the club? Absolutely. Um, and, and the big thing for us, of course, you know, being a, being a parrot head club, it, it, it reverts back to the Jimmy Buffett concept, but, you know, Jimmy himself is, is a huge fan of charity work and people don't realize how much he does. Even right now, his new album is giving a whole bunch of money back to this whole COVID-19 thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it helps our clubs. It's actually in all of our bylaws or what we're supposed to do as a club in general is that we need to give back to our communities. So we're not just, you know, when this first started, I can back up a little bit. There were a lot of people that joined the club just because they like the tailgating and drinking themselves silly before the show. And the whole thing has kind of evolved to where um, across the board, people like doing the charity aspect and to, to gain more members a lot of times it's, yeah, we have the charity aspect, but we're going to tie a social to it. So it's not just one or the other. We're being a social club while we're doing something good for the community and sometimes the larger scale things like Alzheimer's. So um, if we can give to the national organizations, that's great. But a lot of times it's just a matter of helping out our, our small you know, hometown things that need our help more than the national ones. It's easy to raise for these big companies and organizations to raise millions of dollars. Um, none of our clubs are big enough to even, you know, make an impact besides we do give good money to that, but there are places that raise hundreds of thousands of dollars and we're not in the position to do that. But if we can go to the local shelters, I mean, every time once a month I stop by Ronald McDonald house or a, or a shelter and give them toiletries, the pop tops, uh, cell phones, and it's just stuff that's collected monthly by our club. And they're so appreciative because otherwise they'd never get that opportunity. So it's kind of a homegrown effort. So people that get involved with clubs can pick and choose. Some do more of the socials, some do more of the charities, and some like a combination of the both. But the more opportunities you offer them, then it's a way for us to gain members. So that was also a part of my um, campaign when I ran for president, um, is we need to have ways to for our clubs to gain more members. And as of just yesterday, uh, we got the portal open on the PHIP website that if you're a member of a club, um, there's opportunities available to you and there's benefits that you can get, but you have to be a member. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to populate that with a lot of, you know, kind of neat new things. And the first one that's on there is uh, besides there was the, the budget rent-a-car one that we've always had and a, a perks thing. Um, but Margaritaville is offering 15% discount on their merchandise. So oh, wow. if you go on the Margaritaville website and you're a Pearhead Club member, you get 15% off your purchase. So that's a great, you know, one of the one of the first things we brought out, you know, here it is, and bam, you're a club member. You get to use this. It's not you know, we don't get anything from it. It's for, for all of you. So those are the kind of things we want to build in also. So for clubs that are struggling to get new members, you know, they, they got to remember, they got to build this stuff around 
the music especially that'll bring people in, but then also here's stuff that you can use as a benefit to get people to join your clubs, which will really be, you know, in the long run, help us all out because, you know, it's, it's through attrition. The more members we get, the more money we have to do bigger things, the bigger things we can host and the bigger things we host brings in more people. So it's a self-perpetuating problem, if you want to call it that, but that's how it's going to work. So it's really coming down to be an exciting time for Parrothead Clubs because we're going to be offering a lot of great things. Yeah, that's really um, cool. I didn't know uh, that there were those kinds of perks even. Um, but like to hear that that's going to be more of a thing going forward, like you said, that's definitely a useful way to to try and entice people, you know, that might be on the fence about joining. Um, and I know... I think also too, sometimes it's like, oh, well, people are like, well, I can't really like host a party or I can't do a, you know, big thing to help out. But there's so many little ways that you can do stuff too. Like I know, like I don't have, uh, my house is very small. So like I can't host a party or host a house concert or whatever. But, um, you know, when I go to them with our, that's other ones that our club throws, like I always buy a few raffle t- tickets if I can, or, you know, give to whatever the, the charity is. And so you, you can, you know, you can contribute in small ways, even if it's not like you're throwing an event or you're throwing a party. So there's something, you know, ways for everybody to, to get involved. Um, but also, like you said, a big part of it is still having a good time. I know like party with a purpose is, you know, kind of the motto and, and it, that's what really makes it special, I think is, we do have a lot of fun while, while we are, we are doing good work, uh, like to help out like the community and that kind of thing too. So, um, that's a great way to, to get people in, uh, the, there also is an online, um, club you can join, right? So if you don't have a local club in your area, you can still, that's not like a reason not to join. You can still join up and there's sort of like a virtual club. Yes, there is. And, you know, it's, and that can be found right online. You can join the virtual club. The only, I mean, and, and part of the problem with that, it's not a problem really, but sometimes clubs aren't close enough to somebody, but they get to lose or they lose that interaction with Parrothead club members. Like you said, um, you joined the Tucson club and, you know, they became friends. So it's hard to be a virtual club and then still make all those friends, except for when you travel once a while to the, the big scale events or go to meeting of the minds. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's available, but it'd be great to have clubs all over the place that at least you're close enough to attend some things if you choose to. And, you know, going back to what you said about, you know, just being, be, being able to participate um, there's a lot of things that clubs do. Our club's been around in Chicago for over 25 years. So when, when you look back on how things began and where they're at now, clubs got to realize that, you know, they can't be afraid of change because the ways things were done 15, 20 years ago aren't the way they work nowadays. And we're evolving at a, at a ridiculous rate. I mean, just look at social media and the different ways of communicating. I mean, back then it was, you have to send a, a letter. It's probably still in people's bylaws. You have to get a letter in the mail to actually vote or get your newsletter or something like that. And it's not the way of the world anymore. So yeah. a lot of clubs have to be ready and willing to kind of change with the times and adjust to what their members need. You know, we've, we've gone through all the growing pains of 
you know, well, we didn't do it this way. And we said, well, yes, but we can't do it that way anymore because, you know, people have, you know, different job cycles or they have kids now or something where it's like we have to have kid friendly events where before there weren't that many. And, you know, you got to kind of interact with everybody in a different way and then give opportunities for them to give back any way they can. So like you said, if it's a raffle, if it's an online thing, if they join our Alzheimer's team and all they got to do is, hey, help people contribute to our cause. It's more a matter of just, you know, getting it done any way you can and you kind of go from there. Yeah, you make an interesting point about the the letters, like the mailing in the ballots and stuff or when voting. I feel like people would probably because I think that's how our club still does it. And I feel like people would probably be more likely to vote if they could just like log on to, you know, the secure thing and and place their vote that way or something as opposed to having to like fill out the thing put it in an envelope you know go like put it in the mail I mean I guess it's not that hard to put in the mailbox for some people but like I don't have an outgoing mailbox so I have to like drive to somewhere and drop it off you know like it's things are progressing in a way that um like you maybe would get more participation for these things if you're sort of changing with the times, updating with the times, using your technology. Um, and I know like not all clubs have the a person that like can build a really good website or do that kind of thing. But, but those are the kinds of things that, you know, in our current, where we are in the world, you know, with technology and, and how everything has evolved, like you really need to have those things to help draw people in and, and I feel like get people to participate. And, you know, and, and it's interesting too, because along with that and bringing in, you know, younger people into these clubs is doing the things that would actually get them involved. So, you know, it comes down to mail. You know, I was watching something the other day where a lady was writing a check and there was a, a younger girl that was like, why are you drawing a picture on a piece of paper? And it's like, it's a check. Don't you know what a check is? Well, no. So, I mean, really, I mean, people, kids nowadays, why would they ever use a check or a checkbook? It doesn't even make sense. Everything is Venmo or PayPal or, you know, take your pick. So, you know, it's stuff like that's going by the wayside. So even building a website, if you ask your members like, hey, do you have somebody or can you or do you know somebody that can help us build a website? I bet everybody could find somebody that's, you know, their kid in high school can build a website. So, I mean, it's it's a matter of just looking at your resources and pulling them in and saying, hey, we need your help. And how about if I give you a free membership or I, I help you get a ticket to the concert or who knows what? But there's ways to entice people to participate and be part of it. And it's not going to cost you a ton of money to do. It's just a matter of looking at your resources again and making it work for everybody. Yeah. Is, the, is this kind of thing like what made you want to run for president of the club is kind of to bring in sort of some new ideas or like what made you decide like I want to be president I want to because it seems like a big job to be in charge of all of that yeah <laughs> um you know what was interesting is that um I so I've been I've been a club member for a long time and I was pre I've been president of Chicago for over 10 years now Oh, wow. And I go to I go to a lot of regional events and I go to a lot of club events. And as a as a club president and as a as a club leader, um, people bend your ear a lot and they want to get 
you know, hear your perspective. And a lot of times you have to listen to people and see, okay, you know, it's, it's like Jimmy says, the questions that bother you so. So there's clubs with real issues around the country. And um, I felt like maybe they needed to be heard a little bit. And again, it goes back to the, you know, things can't always keep going the way they've been going. Sometimes you got to evolve. And especially when we talk about, you know, the small things, how things are run, how things are sent in. Um, I got to tell you, if I got, I do two interim reports a year. And it's a lot of stuff that you got to add up and tally up and send in. And, you know, maybe there's an easier way. I don't even know on that one yet. It's just off the top of my head. But when you look at all this stuff coming in, people were saying, you know, there's really good ideas out there. And I started to kind of gather them up. And I actually went to Kathy and I, I completely respect Kathy and what she did as, as president. And I asked her last year if she was going to run for president again, because I liked what she was doing. I liked the direction of it. And I wasn't going to run for president against her because I believed in what she was doing. But when she said she wasn't running for president, I said, okay. And I told her um, right there, I was going to run. So in that way, I, I didn't want to blindside anybody, but I also thought, okay, maybe I've been doing this long enough. Um, I've got the time with my job and what I do. Um, I have the opportunity and I feel like I can help our, our clubs out and help them be heard with their, their situations. And sometimes it's, it's stuff that is, is small or it's just, it's more like guidance, but they need to be able to talk to somebody. And even since I became president, I get clubs that email me or want to have a phone call just because they, they just want to ask how to do things. And there's no, there's no like handbook that's, that's got everything written in it. So, you know, from a perspective of a club that, you know, from Chicago, our membership has stayed right around 200 since before I started. And even now, so we're in the same boat of not gathering members left and right, but we have an active club and it's successful and we're doing well. So I feel like we can add some perspective on things or just say, hey, we do it this way. Maybe you can try it. And if somebody else has something great that works, I add those things together. We, we steal everything. We don't make up, make up new stuff all the time. So I, I encourage clubs all the time. Hey, if you see something that works, steal it. That's the best thing to do. So we're all working on the same page. That makes life even easier. So that was kind of how I got involved with it. And, um, you know, there's still some things that are being worked on. I think it's, there's a lot of things out there that are coming around that, you know, are, are important, especially with all these musicians and artists and, you know, house concerts is, is an incredible thing that, that only happens really in the trap rock genre, which, you know, and I've, and I've heard all the, the arguments, too, about what this should be called. Um, is it, you know, Coastal Americana? Is it American Coastal Caribbean stuff? Um, I think the, the problem is, is that no matter what you say now, Trap Rock has kind of stuck to the wall. So if no matter who you talk about or what, is, what it is, if you say Trap Rock now in our world, people know what it is. And, you know, we, we've actually kind of talked to some people and found out that, you know, Jimmy Buffett won't put it down like saying his music is trap rock because it's a mixture of everything, but he doesn't mind the term. He's like, I get it. It's got to be called something. And we've kind of adopted right. it. So it's kind of a, you know, if, if you got to call it something, at least right now, every Parrothead club across the world knows that when you say trap rock, you know what that means. So it's kind of been absorbed as a catch all for, for what we're doing. 
Yeah, it's interesting because the term trap rock, like you said, is probably the most widely known in our community, but it's also sort of maybe like one of the least approachable <laughs> terms for like people from, the, like I say that and people are like, I have literally no idea. Like they don't, they don't know that trop is short for tropical, you know, like I feel like I'm not saying we should, like I like the term trap rock, but I feel like it's requires the most explanation. I feel like something like coastal Americana or some of those other ones at least are inherently kind of give you an idea of what that is in the name. Trop rock is kind of, it's become the thing that we use and I like it because I, I don't know, it is very specific and I think it really is actually like the most evocative and fun, but, but it's probably the hardest when trying to talk about it to people outside the community who don't know what that is because it, there's like no, you, you have to explain it. When I say that to people, they're like, I don't know what that means. So (laughs) Well, it's you know, it's kind of interesting too because it, it's it's catchy. It's easy to say. It's easy yeah. to get. You know, even if you, if you said coastal Americana, people would still go oh, explain that to me. So, but then you go back to even the major genres of music. It's kind of like you know Luke Bryan's new song, well, One Margarita, whatever it's called. If he when he sings that song, that's not a country song, but he's a country singer. Right. But that's clearly that's clearly in the trap rock genre. So you would never probably see him playing like in a trap rock type concert because most of his songs are not in that genre. But, you know, it's it, like when Toby Keith showed up, he'd see, you'd see him more and more of his songs be more of that, you know, that island beachy trap rock thing. And Kenny Chesney especially has jumped on board and, you know, he's making a living on it right now. All of his songs are just fantastic, but it goes so many different directions. I mean, Sammy Hagar's last album was an incredible trop rock album. When you listen to all the songs, it's all about Cabo and the beaches and drinking mm-hmm. tequila. It's right in our wheelhouse, except people would go, well, Sammy Hagar, he's, he's a rock right. guy. He's like a hairband guy. Well, yeah, but their music kind of evolves too to what, you know, what works. And right now, especially with everything going on in our world, they want the, you know, take me away on vacation and, you know, take me away from all this stuff. So play me a song that's going to make me think about having a drink sitting on a beach, jumping in the ocean, going on a boat, that type of stuff. And so the the whole genre is evolving, but it will never be the, you're never going to see a Trop Rock Award, you know, on, on TV. But for people that are involved in this movement, especially the behind the scenes house concert stuff, it's, we know what it is. And it's an incredible thing because no other genre does this. Yeah, I, that's a good point about, artists who are not like trop rock overall but they might have like one trop rock song because I chatted with Eric and Gina Babin on the last episode from Radio Trop Rock and and I hadn't really thought about the fact that like there's probably a lot of songs on you know trop rock radio stations that you have that song on the radio station but you don't have the artist it's not like oh well we play you know all of these songs by this artist because like they have one trap rock song like they you know you play the one song that's trap rock because not all of their music is trap rock but they might have like one song that fits into that genre so like they were saying that you know they get stuff submitted to by artists or people to be like hey can you put this on this radio station but if it you know if it doesn't 
real if it's not really trop rock you know even if maybe the musician has other trop rock songs if that song itself doesn't really seem like it falls into that you know category then they won't play it because they really are you know a trop rock station so right and they're one of the few that is is pretty much all trap rock music. But what's, what's interesting too, is that, um, so I've worked really closely with uh, one of the CEOs from Margaritaville on an event up here in Chicago. And, um, since, since we started talking, we kind of were talking about what the, what Margaritaville is as far as not just Jimmy Buffett music, but Jimmy Buffett inspired a lifestyle, which in and of itself was, is an amazing change for what they do. And it and it just keeps growing. So part of that was we were trying to like redefine what that meant, and we kept talking about in the last year we kept bringing up the word escapism, and and talking to uh, my friend he he said you know part of the original charter of creating Margaritaville was that it's about creating escapism, and it's funny because for a, the longest time you really didn't hear that word. And I had never heard it explained that way from the Margaritaville standpoint. But once they tied that together, I've actually heard it on Radio Margaritaville lately. I wonder if he kind of got in somebody's ear and said, (laughs) hey, remember, this all began with escapism. And we started using it also. So it's not just the beachy stuff that does that. Because um, like one of the prime examples right now in the, the trap rock world is High South. And they are clearly not a trap rock band, but have been embraced by the trap rock world. And I think it's because they embraced a time period that people look back on fondly and say, wow, I remember living through that time or the music of it. And it takes you to someplace else. So I know a lot of songs do that, but some, some people and some songs just really take you to someplace special. And that's, I think, where a lot of these songs are coming from, because when you hear about it, then you hear why it was created, where it was created, the story behind it. Now it's got a place like in your head and your heart where it means something. So I think for all of our artists or for people that get to attend a house concert, a true house concert where it's like a listening room, not like the, you know, you can have a trap rock artist in your house, but it's still a ridiculous party where everybody is just laughing and joking and doing what they're doing. And that's great. But a lot of the artists, when you talk to them, prefer to sit and get to know everybody. They want you sitting as close as possible so they can look you in the eye and tell you the story. And once they do that, you've got a connection about the story. And then it's like, wow, I never knew what that song was actually about. And now every time you hear that, you remember that moment when you learned what it's about and by that person. And it's about whoever it is. And you're never going to forget that. So it really creates... A, a unique atmosphere of music that you're never going to see on the big stage. Yeah, I've said that. I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, but the house concerts are one of my favorite things um, about being in the club and uh, join. Like, I've learned about so many new musicians because of them. And I know, like, uh, our house concerts here, um, you know, like when you get the email invite or whatever it specifically says like this is a listening event you know like don't come to this if you think you're going to talk while the musician is playing or you know whatever because it's really about listening to the music listening to the stories like you said getting sort of like that intimate connection with the musicians that you don't get at a big party or a big concert um and that's really special to 
this community, I think, like you mentioned, it's, we're kind of one of the only, I, I mean, I have been to other house concerts that are not drop rock related, but generally speaking, like, I don't feel like any other music genre has that as like such a widely done thing. Um, and it's, it's a really cool thing that I think people, if they haven't experienced it, they don't really understand like how neat that is. But I know like I brought somebody from my work to, um, or invited them to a house concert and um, they loved it. It was like their first time they'd ever been and they hadn't seen the music. They they didn't know that musician or anything beforehand, but afterwards, after that one house concert, they were talking about like how they wanted to host a house concert. So it's, it's a really cool thing that is hard. You know, you can't really like people just have to, you have to get people there. But I think once you do, that also is a really great way to, to, to kind of grow the club because any, I mean, our house concerts aren't club events. You don't have to be a member to go, but the, I feel like there's people that have gone and then joined the club because they're like, Oh, this is the kind of stuff, you know, that you do. And um, so it's, it's also, I think a great way to, to sort of get some people in that then might, want to sign up for the club like once they realize that's the kind of thing that we do in the club and you know and you're, you're exactly right on that and the the cool thing i think about our artists is that you know i've never met a person in our genre that is boring or can't hold a conversation or just gets up there and plays songs doesn't talk they've all got a story to tell i mean they're all storytellers so when they get up there and start talking and telling you all these great stories I mean, it, it sucks you into their world. And, you know, what's cool, too, is I, I completely agree with you. Um, a lot of times, if you're the host, especially, it's, it's, it's your house, it's your rules. So if you don't mind people coming and bringing a friend or two, or, or if you don't mind strangers showing up, which is, you know, that can be right. hinky for some people. But if they're okay with it, if they got a big backyard and they're like, yeah, I don't care, bring people over. So what? Then it exposes them to these people. And then, yeah, it's. It's like, wow, that was amazing. How'd you guys, how do you get to know these people? How do you make this happen? Oh, well, we're involved in Parrothead Clubs, and we know all these musicians that do this. And there's big events that happen where they all come, and there's all kinds of people playing. And those can be pool parties or big ballroom parties. And then the charities are involved. And you've got raffles and fun stuff like that. I know people that like to go to the big events just because they love the raffles and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's when you add all that together it creates an atmosphere that, you know, is conducive to making our clubs bigger. And I think slowly we're trying to transition from, you know, the hard thing is not being just Jimmy Buffett, but all the rest that comes with it. Cause there are people out there that will hear that and go, well, you know, Jimmy Buffett, I don't, I don't really know his music. I'm not a big fan. It's like, well, yeah, but you probably like the type of music. So you'll probably like the rest of the stuff we do. And it's got to all kind of come hand in hand and full circle. So we'll, we want to keep all this going as long as we can, of course, because we all know Jimmy's not going to tour forever. He can't. So right. what's going to be the next step in the evolution? And that's, we're kind of right in that spot right now. Where we're trying to pull that together and figure out what happens next because you know, Jimmy's 73 years old. And I got to tell you, my dad's about the same age and my dad is nowhere near the energy that Jimmy Buffett has, but it's like, all right, if that's what my dad looks like, that's what Jimmy looks like. I don't know. At some point in time, Jimmy's got to turn around and go, I need to take it easy and call it yeah. quits. And we all know what's going to happen. So, But we don't want to see our clubs go away either. And, I, and I've heard clubs actually say that, where they're like, well, if Jimmy stops touring, 
our clubs just end and we made some great friends. We hang out with the, the people we met. And we're like, well, no, that's not what this means. We're still, you know, we're still bigger than that. We still have all these things to still be done. And we still contribute to the charities. We can still do all the social things we do. It's not like you go to a Buffett concert every month. Some people don't even see him yeah. once a year. So why would you stop being a club just because Jimmy stops touring? So that's where we're trying to get the, the other performers and artists involved with our members so they see that we can keep this going and keep this being prosperous for everybody. That's a really interesting. I hadn't did not know that there were people of that sort of mindset, like without Jimmy, you know, and without being able to go to actual concerts, like the club wouldn't be a thing. Cause for me, that's not, I mean, our clubs, some of our club members sometimes go to concerts together when he comes to, you know, Phoenix or whatever, or like sometimes people go to Vegas, but we don't live somewhere where he comes really regularly. Like he doesn't come to Phoenix every year. So it's, I love going to the concerts when I can, but that's definitely for me, not really what the club is about. You know, it's about all the things that you said. And, and I, and I really love that you mentioned the escapism thing because I have always, that's sort of always how I've described it to people. Because when you say like, oh, it's a Jimmy Buffett fan club, they're like, oh, well, I don't like Jimmy Buffett or I haven't really listened to Jimmy Buffett. But if you're like, well, it's, in a, you know, it's kind of people have a similar mindset, a sort of an escapism lifestyle, escapism mindset, and and my this podcast, like even have it the word escapism in the description because, um, I mean, I interview a lot of trop rock musicians, but it's not a trop rock specific podcast. It's really like whatever falls under that banner of sort of that escapism mindset. So, you know, I might interview like say you own like a boat company or something and you want to talk about boats for an hour like yes I'll do that you know because because it's really about more than just Jimmy Buffett I love Jimmy Buffett and I always have since I was a little kid but um so like obviously that's a big part of like why it formed initially but it really is so many more so much more than that now I think so Hopefully that doesn't happen where clubs just disband once Jimmy Buffett doesn't tour as much anymore because I feel like that would be a real loss, you know. Absolutely. And you know, and part of that too is and and this has been a topic of discussion. So, like you said, Jimmy doesn't come to your area that much. But what I'm seeing is kind of an amazing turn is that the the artists themselves, it used to be Parrothead clubs put together these big events, like these music events. Now you're seeing the artists actually putting them on and taking a chance on it. And like a couple of them, you know, south of the border in Mexico, that's so much closer to you. So, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a vacation for, you know, somebody from my area to go down to Mexico. But, you know, some of those are a few hours drive south of Phoenix from where you're at. So that's actually could be a long weekend instead of a whole vacation weekend. So that's part of also the meaning of the minds aspect that, um, I've heard from a lot of people that is going to be probably a, needs to be addressed sooner than later is that realistically, you know, the, the capacity for meeting of the minds is 3,500 people. Now, when you consider that we've got over 22,500 members, only a fraction of our members can even possibly attend this event. So the majority of them can't go 
um, or it's just not feasible. I mean, whether they have family or kids or whatever they've got going on in their lives or is too far away. You know, I have friends that live in Seattle and they say, you know, it's just, it's hard to get to Key West every year. It's just, it's too yes. much money. It's hard. And, and we understand that. So now the, the twist in that comes from, okay, you know, this has been like the flagship event of PHIP for a long time. But now you're hearing from clubs that are becoming, you know, busy and popular and growing that are just too far away. Maybe there's got to be other angles to look at. You know, it's, it's not, you know, it was, it was brought to my attention. I, I remember when I was campaigning, I, I said, you know what, it's just questions to ask. Does Meaning of the Minds have to be in Key West? Is there an easier way? Now, I, I probably would have been strung up if I actually said we're going to move <laughs> everything out of Key West. So that, that's not going to happen. I mean, it's that's like a Key West is a Jimmy Buffett, you know, that's like homegrown stuff right there. The stories of all the stuff that came out of Key West, that's not going to change. But the rest of the year, there's all these other big things that go on that that deserve the support and probably some of the, you know, same aspects of Meeting of the Minds just to 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 benefit the majority of our members, not just a handful of our members. And, you know, quite frankly, when you look at the timing of Meeting of the Minds, um, and this has been discussed over and over, that time frame of the year is not good for for especially our younger members because you're coming off of Halloween, Thanksgiving, right into Christmas. If you're not retired with, you know, no kids at home, that's great. But a lot of people, especially trying to bring in younger members, there's no way they can go to Meeting of the Minds that time of year. It's not feasible. So there's some things that got to, you know, there's got to be a give and take on some of these aspects and ways to grow the whole thing so that uh, there's benefits to the majority and not just the minority of our members. Yeah. Have you ever, um, have like, has there been any talk at all about maybe building out either creating a new event or building out one of the existing sort of West Coast events to be like a large, like obviously, like you said, Meeting of the Minds probably isn't going to go away from Key West at any point. And, and I, even though it's hard for me to get there, like I can't go every year, but I wouldn't really want it to move either because I like having that chance to go to Key West when I can go. But to have maybe, like I know this isn't really the same at all, but uh, I like most professional organizations that I've been a part of because of my jobs have sort of a summer conference, big summer conference. And then they have like a winter conference. That's maybe not as big as the summer conference, but you know, they host a second conference in the year. And, and would that be a feasible thing to have sort of a second meeting of the minds type, like event that's put on like, I, cause I know there's sort of the regional events, but that's kind of put on as like a larger, you know, this is for everybody kind of event, or would that just be too much additional work in addition to um, meeting of the minds, do you think? Uh, you know what? I, I don't think it'd be too much work. I think it's a matter of, you know, it, it, go, it, it really falls back on who's organizing. So what it comes down to is that you almost have to build a bigger structure. And the way, the way PHIP is organized is that you know, everybody's got a role right now in the board. And the person that is in charge of Meeting of the Minds, um, the director, is in charge of just that event. So it, it could very well be something like, hey, you're in charge of now, you know, other people that are in charge of multiple events. 
So mm-hmm. you 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 oversee happening the happenings of the Key West event and the Tucson event for lack of a better place to go, and right, maybe yeah. a Seattle event or you know because realistically that a lot of these things are are designed to be you know self sustaining. So registration is a big part of it, and then getting sponsors for the events. So depending on what the location is and how it's happening, you look at some of these big big areas like the one in. Uh, Lake George in New York, Lake George jumped on board and they've got sponsors and fairgrounds and tents and VIP stuff. I mean, so the the potential is there to put on a big event. It's just getting the right things in place to make it happen. So it's, it's definitely a possibility to look at. And, you know, of course, it's not saying it's going to happen, especially overnight, but with, with the need comes people talking about it. And then if people talk about it, they could turn around and say, well, why can't we put this on? Why can't we make this happen and make it as big if, or, or bigger? Who knows what they can pull together? So a lot of it's just like a little bit of coordination and, you know, bringing ideas together and see how big you want to go with it. So, you know, and it, it, it's, it's bringing in the club, the club leaders, getting people involved. That, that's why big, big things fall apart is that you get a great idea that everybody jumps on at first and then – people start to be like, yeah, I just want to go for the party and not really do as much. And when that starts happening, it's on the downslide. And then it's like, okay, do we go every other year now? Do we cancel the event? Do we change things? There's a lot There's a lot of ins and outs to making these things work. So if it's not done right, then you start to lose traction. Um, I can speak from experience from Summer Chill and anybody, you know, take this idea and run with it. But the best thing we ever did was hire an event planner. And at first, we were nervous. We're like, "Wow, we're putting a, we're putting a good chunk of money out there to make this happen." But she has been worth every penny to make these events happen. So, if that takes the pressure off of all of us to do probably sixty percent of the work, that means there's so much less for the rest of us to have to worry about and do. So we get to enjoy ourselves. So there are ways to do it without beating ourselves up and taking all the responsibility ourselves. So it's good, it's going to take some more discussions. I mean, it's, it's come up before it's been coming up a lot more because of how active people are. And some of the clubs are getting really active, which is great. So we got to see what kind of comes out of it. Well, since we are kind of on the topic of meeting of the minds right now, do you want to talk a little bit about this year? I know, um, obviously with COVID and everything that's happening, uh, it's been, um, postponed or, you know, so there's not going to be one this year. Do you want to talk a little bit about like the, that decision and, Sure. Yeah. It's, and you know, this was a very tough decision. And um, so what it really comes down to is that um, people, a lot of people are saying, well, it's because of COVID specifically. COVID was kind of a, a catalyst in making a decision because it affected a lot of things. Um, a big thing of making meeting of the minds work, of course, is registration. So with people nervous about travel and not sure you know, what was going to be open, what's not going to be open, what about their flights, Um, you know, health issues, you know, there's people out there that just say, hey, I don't even do want to leave the house for the next year because I'm nervous about this. So when that happens, a lot of people were kind of on the fence and that was affecting registration. Now with the CASA, which is the host hotel, um, we have to enter into a contract with them. And anytime you do that with a hotel, anybody that's, that's done this before um, knows that there's a lot of things built into a contract that um, offset each other. So 
for the Casa, we're insuring a sellout of, of the hotel. So uh, most hotels, as everybody knows, they make their money off the room room rents, room sales. So if you don't meet your numbers, that puts PHIP responsible for any non-sold rooms, which can add up quickly. Um, along with that is with having everybody there, you're expected to have food and drink sales and minimums, and you got to pay the bartenders and you got to pay taxes and um, tips and all that kind of stuff. So you're kind of got to weigh all those numbers together. And we came to, you know, quite recently um, watching this, it was like the, we got to do a go or no go situation mm. based on the best knowledge we had then and looking at it for the safety of everybody. I mean, and you know, cause all the coral reefers were coming down. A lot of the coral reefers have, you know, there's issues going on. You know, Mac just had a heart attack not that long ago. So there's, there's, there's health concerns going on, even with the biggest band coming down. So we said, you know, we really got to look at this from the standpoint of the, the safety of the, the artists, the safety of our guests. And are we going to be able to make our requirements per the contract of the hotel? So based on all of that, it was kind of a, you know what, this is not a good year to try and pull this off. Um, we don't know if this flu is going to come back, if it's going to be a different flu, um, which artists are going to be available or not. Um, and, you know, because we just saw Jimmy just canceled all of his tours. He, there might be a point where he says, you know, if we're canceling all of our tours, uh, you guys probably shouldn't be touring either. That could be a possibility. We, we don't even know. So with all that taken into account, it was kind of a, a best choice decision based on the best information we had. So that's really what it came down to. There, there wasn't, uh, wasn't a whole lot of wiggle room in this because, you know, people don't realize how much money goes into an event like this. And to fall short is something we can't put on our membership and the organization itself. Mm-hmm. Well, you're definitely not alone I, uh, in terms of that like most of large events are being canceled. I usually go to San Diego Comic-Con every year and that's been canceled. Basically all the trips that I had planned for this year are um, around specific events aren't happening. I mean, I might not be able to go anyway because of health reasons, but the actual events are basically all canceling like for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, you just have to make a decision at the before you get to the point of no return and um, you know, it's better to err on, on the side of safety, especially, and especially if like, there's not going to be enough people to even really support and fund the event. Um, but it sounds like maybe some people are still going to go. I know, uh, when I talked with Eric and Gina, they were mentioning that, you know, some of the musicians are still going to go and do individual shows. It sounds like some people are still planning on going down. So, you know, for people that do feel like they can do that, it sounds like there will be still things happening, um, or at least people are hoping to, to have things still happening. So I guess people still can go and do something. It just won't be meeting of the minds as we know it. Right. And, you know, and you're absolutely right. And in talking to a lot of the artists and stuff that, you know, are, are traveling the country, of course, a lot of them are canceling their tours. So when you're talking to them, like we do our summer chill event and we had to cancel also because we were right in the bubble of, of Illinois opening up or not to having that many people. 
And we, just like Meeting of the Minds, had to make a decision based on um, contractual issues. You know, you're once you get past a point of no return, now you're stuck. And if you can't meet your obligations, now you're financially on the hook. So right. that was part of it. And then the other thing was, you know, there are musicians out there that are in the same boat of saying, you know what, I'm not comfortable traveling around right now. So things are changing. So it started a lot of conversations that, you know, right now things are, are kind of on hold. But there are a lot of musicians that are still saying, hey, I've got stuff booked and I want to head down there. And, you know, for them, it's a it's kind of a good reunion and a way for them to all get together and still do the things like at the the big events around the country. So there's, I think there's a lot of people still going to Key West. So it's going to be a pretty interesting weekend with all the musicians heading down. We'll see what they can pull together. Yeah. And if nothing else, it'll be, you know, it might not be the same as Meeting of the Minds, but it'll be its own unique thing. Like whatever comes out of that, I'm sure will be a really interesting and, and fun event for, for its own reasons. Um, hopefully it, that will still be able to happen if like, hopefully things don't get worse or, um, you know, come back in full force at that point in time. But the, that sort of smaller organizing these smaller things is, you know, would be easier to, if they had to cancel or something would be easier to deal with at the last minute than trying to like cancel or, you know, have to put on meeting of the minds when no one's going at the last minute. So yeah. You know, it, and it's, it's more it's flexible too. Exactly. And it, it becomes more of a, um, an organic situation where if, if people are playing around the Island, if anybody's gotten a chance to go to Key West when it's not meeting of the minds and they get to just wander around and see the sites and actually see some of the historical stuff. Plus, Hey, I'm going to wander into this place and watch this musician or wander into here. Um, it's not the, I'm on a schedule and you're trying to follow along with everybody, but Maybe it's just kind of a, hey, I'm going for vacation. I get to kind of relax and, you know, see what's going on or do nothing. So, you know, it could be an interesting weekend, you know, overall, just because people get to hang out for a bit and not be, you know, tied to a schedule. Or, you know, if I really want to see all these people, but I also want to see Key West. So it's not the either or type of situation. Yeah, because that's definitely one of the great things about meeting in the minds, but also one of the hard things is in addition to everything at the Casa, there's tons of musicians playing other places. So you're kind of like, okay, well, where, what thing do like, we want to be at the Casa for this. And then we want to be at, you know, like Willie T's for this. Or we want, like, I remember the first year that I ever went to meet in the minds, which was not that long ago, a few years ago. Um, we had a whole, like, we literally got the music schedule for everything that we could find and, like, made our own schedule of, like, okay, on this day, we want to go to this, and then we want to go to this, and that. and which is amazing to get to see so many musicians, and but it also is a lot of, like, it's it's not, like, the most relaxing, you know? Right, <laughs> When right. you're like, okay, now we have to be at this place, now we have to be at this place. So this well, might yeah. be an opportunity for people to, like you said, have a little more low-key trip still get to see some musicians but yeah maybe get to see some other stuff on the island or you know do things a little more casually and that's the the difficult thing with key west is that um you know you got mallory square on one end of the wall and the casa is on the other end so you're doing like a mile back and forth every time you're trying to get somewhere and you you don't want to do a cab everywhere or you know whatever you're doing so you're walking a lot it's like okay what time do we got to leave to make it over there for that or 
know, sometimes you're with all your friends. You just want to go get dinner somewhere. It's like, hey, there's this great restaurant. Or you want to go get to the dessert place, Better Than Sex, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, it's I've like, not hey, been there yet. <laughs> oh, it's it's worth every penny. It's so awesome. So you got to go do that. And But you have to make a reservation. So at some point in time, if you really want to go do this, it only it only opens at this time and closes at this time. You're going to miss something. So right. there's there's also that part where it's like, hey, I, I can't do everything. So I, at some point in time, you got to take a break, go get something to eat. And especially if you're in Key West, you know, you're, you're surrounded by the ocean. There's seafood everywhere and great restaurants and great music. So it's like you just want to get out and check out some new places. And I think we've all got our hidden favorites around Key West where it's like, I don't want to tell everybody about this place because I don't want everybody <laughs> go in there. It's my cool little hideout place, you know? So, yeah. you know, and we found a few of those where it's like, wow, we go in here and there's like almost never anybody there and it's fantastic. And so it's like, let's just keep that to ourselves. <laughs> my, I'll tell my favorite because I don't think anyone else would care about it the same as me, but um, I love for a bre- like to take a break, you know, like you said, sometimes you just need, you can't do everything. You just need a break. And um, my favorite thing is going to the Hemingway house with all the, and you can like pet the cats and, and mm-hmm. hang out. Um the last time that we went, that that I went to meet the mines, we stayed part of the time we stayed at the Casa, but part of the time we stayed at um, the Lighthouse Court Hotel, and which uh-huh. is basically right across the street from Hemingway House. So I actually went to the Hemingway House multiple times <laughs> during the week, even oh, though awesome. I had to like pay entry separate. I was like, why can't you not just like buy a week's worth of entry or something? Like, <laughs> I feel like they should have more options for people that want to go there more times in a short time period. But because I was just like, I just, you know, it's really quiet in there, like, like lush. It's not usually super crowded. The cats are cute and you can like give them a pet. I don't know. It's just like super relaxing for me. So that's kind of my little like secret place that when I yeah. need a break, that's where I go. But well, there's, there's so many great places. To, I mean, how many, who's all climbed the lighthouse? Like people don't even know they can do that. There's a big yeah. white lighthouse that people are like, wait, you can go up there. Yeah. You can see the whole Island. It's fantastic. And then um, when they used to have the, the street fest, we always, our club always met on the side street and watched from the side. And there was a liquor store always right there. So we're like, oh, we just walk over to the liquor store and go wherever we need and just sit there and watch the show, which was great. But then they turned it into a bar with a liquor store. And so we're like, oh, this is really nice. So now we can sit, <laughs> sit in there and cool off and then come out and see the music when it was still going on. So, again, you find little and places like that pop up and they come and go so fast in Key West. Some, some will stay the test of time. Other ones, you know, got the come and go thing. And there's ones that are like, oh, that's where they people go all the time. And there's it's always crowded and full of people. And sometimes you're just like, I just want to find a place to sit and relax with when talk with everybody and not have a million people around. Yeah, that's definitely I need that kind of break from just being around a ton of people all the time. Um, and I wanted to mentioned this is a little bit of a jump but I just wanted to make sure we talked about this because we spent a lot of time talking about uh the club and everything but um the the thing that brings most if not all of us together in the club is Jimmy Buffett and um I am assuming that is why you joined the club is because of Jimmy Buffett so I just wanted to talk a little bit about like your parrothead story like how did when did you first start listening to Jimmy Buffett like how did you get how did that like end up getting you involved in the club and, and that kind of thing? Um, 
you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Back when I was, let me see, I would have been in, just in college, more or less. And um, I had a friend of mine that was, you know, very into Jimmy Buffett. And he had come from California. And he's like, you got to listen to this music. And I was so anti-everything country because I was a typical Midwest hairband <laughs> kid. And uh, so I really didn't want to listen to anything, have anything to do with this because I, I imagine Jimmy Buffett was all just country music. And uh, so, you know, speed ahead years later, you know, I started working at my job full time and I was working with a guy that was a paramedic and he's, he was playing Jimmy Buffett all the time. And he was always traveling and going to the islands and whatnot. And uh, we started to, you know, travel a little bit and see things. And he's always playing this music. I'm like, all right, I kind of like this. What's going on here? So I really didn't get into it until much later on. And then it started to be like, okay, this is really cool. And then I like the music. It's that you know, the escapism again, the feeling of being on vacation. And you start to, I really started to gravitate toward the the deeper tracks. So like everybody knows Margaritaville and people who go to the concerts. Um, I really think that it was, it's a case of, you know, a good, the word that a good thing was happening got out to everybody. So they wanted to go to the tailgate party. So everyone at the tailgate, because they heard Jimmy Buffett tailgates were the best because they went all day long and there's grass skirts and wheels going and pools and trucks and stuff like that. So, but then half of them didn't even go to the concert and the other half really could name maybe three, three songs if they were lucky. And then you've got the, the true people that were like, these are great songs. I want to hear more of the great songs. And so when you start digging into it, you're like, wow, listen to all this music and hearing the stories. And then now even more with the radio station and everything else, you hear more about it. It's, it's so much more meaningful as a storyteller, which really got me into um, liking the small venue type things. Because that's where you hear the story of the song, like we've talked about before. So that got me involved in that. And then, you know, went to a concert or two, um, started liking the whole atmosphere and the vibe of it, plus being on vacation and, and hearing the music on vacation. So then, yeah, I jumped into being in, in the club and it just kind of took off. And it was one of those things where at the time I joined, um, they needed a charity director. I wasn't even in the club that long, but it was a case of people just didn't want to run anything. They wanted to be part of the club, but not really do the club. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm involved and I don't mind doing this part. What can I do? So I jumped in as a charity director and did that for a while. Then I was social director for a while and then got talked into being president. And it's <laughs> like that ever since. And, you know, it's, and I think it's, you know, going back to having a good club, it's just surrounding yourself with good people and having everybody working in the same direction. You know, there's there's never a bad idea. We you know, like we've learned since high school. It's like ask a dumb question, but a lot of our best ideas are brainstorm sessions. And usually, after you know, there's a handful of club members sitting somewhere at a bar, and you come up with some idea. It's like, quick, write that down so we don't forget that. And we come back and go through all the napkins we've written ideas on and then figure out how to make it happen. And that's really how so many of our of our club events and ideas started off of from us having a few drinks and come up with an idea and writing it down on a napkin and saying, okay, now how do we make this work? And we did it. So it's not it's not difficult. 
It's just being around people that can just brainstorm and throw ideas out there. And that's what's interesting too, is the more you do that, people want to be involved in that process. So they'd be like, wait, I might have an idea. What about this? Oh, hey, why don't you come out with us? Let's start putting ideas together and see what we can do. So there's there's so many easy things to pull off. You know, our, our last three club meetings are have been Facebook Live, and we kind of threw them together at the last minute. And it's it's amazing to see the people that want to come out and watch what you do, even though it, was, it started out again. Hey, let's do this club meeting on a Facebook Live. And how about we do this? How about if we put a bunch of Coronas behind bars like we caught them? And one of our club members was out as a T-Rex laying in the yard that, you know, died from the coronavirus. And, <laughs> and it's just silly stuff that you videotape and put out on Facebook that gets people to go, okay, that's pretty funny. I want to watch see what's going to happen next. And that's kind of part of what we're trying to do too is like, hey, we want people to kind of always say, What's going to happen next? And when they look at our schedule, they go, okay, you know, there's always something to do. And we've told people, if, you, if you're bored, that's because it's your fault. We always have things on the schedule. You can't go to everything, but there's always something to do. So as long as we provide stuff for our members to do, you know, people, some people go to everything, which is great. And then they go back and talk about it. And people are like, oh, I can't believe I missed that. Well, maybe you should show up next time because fun things are about to happen, you know, and that's it, it really helps, like I said, perpetuate the problem is what it comes down to. Yeah, that's fun. I feel like we my our club hasn't really done anything since we've all been at home. But, yeah, we could have done like an online meeting like you Zoom or do something along those lines. I feel like uh, it's like you said, it's just a matter of like having the idea and then you know, doing your best to make it happen. So <clears throat> that's really cool. That, like one, that one of the best things we that. did, we've, we've done um, like pub crawls. Everybody loves a good pub crawl, but it was like, you can, you can do ones that are really simple and stupid. Um, and I don't want to say stupid, but um, we, we <laughs> out, of, out of the blue decided, you know what? We have a lot of club members that are like football fans. So we're like, why don't we do a pub crawl during a bears game? Sorry, y'all, anybody listening, I'm from Chicago. So, um, so we're going to do it during a bears game, but every quarter we're going to switch bars. And at one bar, there's going to be a really awful shot that you can either do the shot and the club's going to pay for it, or you can pay five bucks to get out of it. And it's going to taste <laughs> awful. And all the money went to charity. So we did a real simple charity run. Um, we called it, you're being a Ditka and everybody dressed as Mike Ditka or bear stuff. Um, and it was, it was hysterical and everybody that watched us do this, you know, if everybody's asking who we are, what are you doing? And we told them and people gave us money here, here's 20 bucks toward your charity. You know, let, let me jump in on this. Wow. Hey, how do I find you guys? And it was, it was such a simple thing. And yet I think we got club members out of it and we had a ton of people go. So, you know, it's just those simple ideas that pop up that, you know, again, people are like, where'd this come from? Well, we were sitting in the bar and we thought up we thought up this pub crawl called You're Being a Ditka and that was it. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about before if you not not that you would necessarily plan events specifically for this, but the more you do sort of um things that draw attention in public, the more questions you get about it and the more yep. chance you have to to 
like educate people on like what you're doing and what the club is. And so, so that's a really great way to, to um, get people interested is just like do something super ridiculous in public (laughs) so that people will want to be like, Hey, what are you doing? What's going on here? Right. You know, we did. um, And along those lines, the more public you are, and that's the, that's kind of the key to it. People don't often search out your club, especially being a Jimmy Buffett thing. So when they see you, it's usually because you're out doing something that's usually ridiculous or you got a tent set up (laughs) or something. And that's how you get your members. So you know, from the Tucson area, you know, there's there's so many things in your area that are, you know, related to the Wild West and stuff like that. It'd be easy to throw together some kind of a pub crawl or something along those lines that would just be silly. And people would be like, why are you wearing, you know, a cowboy hat and a lay with shorts on and cowboy boots? <laughs> and be like, well, it's a pub crawl because we're a Parrothead Club and, you know, whatever we're going to do with it. So, you know, there's so many possible ways to pull, th- pull the strings together that people will see that and go, you guys are ridiculous and funny and I want to be part of that. And that's, that's where we get a lot of our members from. Yeah, that's, I feel like we should plan more things because I mean, we do, we usually, you know, we have like part, our regular parties that we do and, and we have our happy hours, um, but we don't really often have as many sort of random events of that kind. But um, I think there, I think actually at our last meeting before this all happened, we had talked about maybe doing some kind of pub crawl thing. So, and I personally am a big fan of costumes. So like anytime there's any sort of theme to dress up for, that is my jam. So I, I will certainly be mentioning that to, yeah, it's, it's to the club. pirates like, and stuff. If, but... Yeah, like if we're going to do a pub crawl, if we're going to do this, like why don't we have a theme and then I can wear an outfit that is cute. And also and... people might be like, oh, what are you guys doing here? Oh, yeah. And it's amazing how people get creative with stuff like that, especially when you give them, give them the opportunity. Like here's our theme, dress for the occasion, and there's going to be prizes for it. That's a big one too. And, you know, it's it's funny too because the more we get involved with this, um, we find ourselves having to separate what we're trying to do because, you know, we'll have, we'll have keat friendly events for the kids. Like we'll do something at the zoo or something like that. Um, but then it's like, we're going to do something, a charity event, or we're going to do some pub crawl. And then every so often we'll throw in like, you know, strangely enough, like a cultural event. Like we're going to go to a museum and we were amazed one time at, like we threw this out there, like a handful of us decided we were just going to go. We're going to make a club event out of it, threw it on our page. And we had like 30 or 40 people show up. Wow. And we're like, well, where'd that come from? So people are like, well, it's kind of cool because it's people don't think on their own to go to the, to like a museum or something, you know, cultural. But if you organize it, there's people that are like, I want to go do that. And then afterwards, of course, we went to, to like some pub or bar to be social. So it's like, wow. And then you talk about it. Like, did you read this? Did you see that? Did you go on that? And then we're going to have some drinks afterwards and talk about it, which was really cool. So the more we do stuff like that, people just jump on because you're, you're giving them something to go do that they don't have to plan themselves. Yeah. And it's, it's more time to, that you get to, like, I, have lots of friends in the club that I consider like good friends, but I don't necessarily like hang out with them outside of club events much. So the more club events you have, the more chance you have to hang out with those people that you're friends with because of the club, but maybe you don't really see them a lot outside of club events. So like just doing anything, it's like, Oh, 
I'm going to go to this museum. Like, do you want to come the same way you would just like see if your friend wants to go to the museum, but you're going with, you know, all of your club friends, basically. So it's just like more time to spend with those people. And the more organized you are, the better, because we've found that if we come in and say, we are meeting at the front door at 11 o'clock in the morning, we're going to be there till three at three o'clock. We're going across the street or half a block down to this bar for cocktails. People are like, perfect. My day is planned. That's what I want to know. Tell me where to tell me where I'm going and I'm going to go do it. And people show up. That's the way it works. Well, that's great. I'm learning so many useful things that I will definitely be taking <laughs> back to my club. This was just secretly, I, you know, to mine you for information. Pick my brain. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, I don't mind that. <laughs> well, before we go, uh, just do you have, I know this is a really tough question and it nobody, it's hard to have a favorite favorite, but like, what are some of your favorite Jimmy Buffett songs? Oh, Wow. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> like you, you know said, I, like you I, got into it because of like more deep cuts and not just Margaritaville. And I think that's how most of us that really like Jimmy Buffett feel, you know, and it's, imp- I feel like it's impossible to pick like a favorite song or honestly, even a favorite album. Cause there's so many, but, um, but I have like some songs that are kind of at the top. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting in that, um, like I knew some of his albums, but my, the first one that really, you know, because most of them happened before I got into it. I didn't really own them. And I really can't count songs you know by heart. Um, it's just like a collaboration of, of his stuff. But uh, when Far Side of the World came out, um, mm. I, it really kind of struck a chord with me because um, I was really into wanting to see the world then. So when he's talking about all these places, it kind of helped inspire that. So Far Side of the World has always been a favorite of mine um, for that reason, just places to, to see all over the place. And then when you start to do it, you start to see them. You're like, wow, I saw those same places that Jimmy Buffett talks about. That's kind of a cool thing to me. Um, off that same album was blue guitar, which, you know, you find out I, that's when I started to learn more about um, how many of his bandmates were writing music that, you know, as a band, and this is totally off track, but there are no, there's not a lot of bands out there that travel that have that many people all on stage together. And it's all from all over the, the country, all over the world, all, you know, all different races and, you know, men, women, all over the place, all playing together. And they're writing music together that Jimmy will be like, hey, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? And he'll record songs from his own people. And you just don't see that in bands, which makes it even more unique. So to know about Blue Guitar from Peter Mayer, what a fantastic, you know, collaboration that came from his own band. So I always like that one. Um, I know it's not his song, but I'm still a big fan of Southern Cross. Um, and mostly because it, it struck a chord with me I, when I the first time I saw the Southern Cross um, for real, I, it was like, you know, there's the song right in your head. And it's not the original version. Yeah. It's the Jimmy Buffett version because that's the right. one I knew. So I was like singing the song going, wow, there's the Southern Cross. I've actually seen it for the first time. You know, it's one of those things that sticks in your head. So, yeah, those, those are some of the big ones for me. And there's so many more that, you know, you kind of go back and forth. And he's, he's got such a huge catalog. It's hard to pick out 
you know, just it's kind of like what mood are you in that day? You know, like, cause right. I feel like sometimes I'm in like a more mellow mood and there's albums and songs for that. And some days I'm more in like a beachy fun mood and there's albums and songs for that. But, um, but I also love the whole, like the far side of the world album. Like I think that album doesn't get enough, cr- like you don't really hear people talk about it very much, um, right. but it is so good. There's so many really good songs on that album and it's so different from, you know, a lot of other stuff he's done, just the different sort of feel and different musical style. And so I'm, I'm really happy that you mentioned that because I, I think that that album is really great and doesn't get enough love. I feel like from, from Jimmy Buffett fans. I agree. And you know, and it goes back to the, the true Buffett fans when they, when you listen to the, the concerts and you hear all the people, you know, it's great to see Jimmy play all the time. And of course he knows what songs a majority of the people in the stands know the words to. So those are the ones he's going to play. That's just kind of the nature of the game. But there, there's always the people out there that look back on it and go, man, there's so many good songs that he could play. And it'd be hard to even pick which ones to do. But yeah. if you go back from not even albums, but concerts, when Jimmy Buffett played on stage at Meeting of the Minds, I forget what year it was, but he was on the Duval Street Street Fest stage. And he walked up and said, first off, a band from Chicago that we know personally, Mr. Myers, was on stage right before that. And they didn't even know, but they were actually opening for Jimmy Buffett. They wow. thought be like they thought Mac was coming on stage and doing his show. But all of a sudden, you know, there's a murmur in the crowd, and then bam, up walks the entire band with Jimmy Buffett. And he said, I'm gonna play only songs written before like 1972 or something like that. Wow. And it was a, it was a great set of songs that it wasn't all the favorites. It wasn't all the new stuff. Um, Peanut butter conspiracy, um, you know, great fill station hold up all, you know, all these songs that you don't hear in concert almost ever. And here they are playing them on stage. It's like, Oh, what a great set list because it's the, it's the good old stuff. Yeah, that's so awesome. I wish I had been there for that. That was before I had, he hasn't come, I don't think, since I have started going to Meeting the Minds. But um, but yeah, that would have been an amazing experience to be in that kind of, because the street, the street fair thing, the street concert is like pretty small. I mean, you know, you're on like the little street there and like the stage is very small. So to see him in right. that context must have been really fun. Yep, and it was right. It's right up close, and it was pretty cool to see. You know, the only thing is, you know, of course, that it's, it's almost like a free concert. So you're like, ah, oh, I paid all this money to get down here, but you know, now anybody gets to see him. That that was always the right. the back and forth on that. But it is what it is. You still got to see Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, yeah. How could you complain <laughs> about that? <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um. Well, I thank you so much for coming on and chatting. I do. You have social media you want to put out there or things they would like to promote, this would be the time to do that where people can find you if they want to friend you or follow you. Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm still the president of the Chicago Parrothead Club and now president of PHIP. So I think my my email is on both of those sites. So anybody <laughs> that's, that's looking for, um, you know, chicagoparrotheads.com or phip.com, um, if you have a question or you, you know, want some guidance with your club, I'm more than happy to chat with you. Um, check, you know, look me up. My stuff's on there. And uh, yeah, we, we're, we're hoping to do really great things. And if you have ideas 
um, I'm always willing to lend an ear. So I hope we get a lot of great things coming in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, and I hope you have a good rest of the day. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for listening to that interview. It was um, kind of a long one. I feel like they're getting longer and longer. I hope you don't mind that. Um, I don't mind because it's fun for me to chat with people. But uh, if you know, if you're feeling like it's too long to listen to, um, let me know. I don't know if I'll really be able to keep it shorter because sometimes we just get carried away talking about stuff, but I can always try or split episodes up into two episodes, that kind of thing. The beauty of a podcast uh, is that you can stop and start it whenever you want. So if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing in one sitting, you can always listen later. Um, So yeah, I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, you can contact me, provide feedback, whatever you need at blameitonbuffettpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me at blamebuffettpod on Instagram and Twitter and blameitonbuffettpodcast uh, on Facebook. Although many of you have already found me on on Facebook, thanks to Eric and Gina. So it's really, really great to have that following now. Um, Please share with your friends if you think they would be interested. Uh, If you're listening on Apple or another platform that has a uh, rating system, please leave a rating if you feel like you're enjoying it. Oh, and I did want to say we are now available on Stitcher as well as a listening platform. Um, We had someone suggest that. So thank you to that person for say asking if we could get it on Stitcher since that's a platform that people listen to. I know people use for podcasts that we were not previously on. So um, yeah, so I think that is all for this week. Um, As always, if you have any questions, thoughts, et cetera, let me know. And uh, until next time, fins up. Blame it on Buffett. Songs.